0: And welcome to ESPN's The Far Post Podcast. A very happy World Cup to all who celebrate. We're so excited to bring you the first edition of the Express Post, our daily World Cup podcast. It's a big thank you to friend of the pod, Alex Kelly, for coming up with the name Express Post. As the name suggests, it's going to be quick, it's going to be fun, and you're going to know everything you need to know about the Women's World Cup. So we cannot wait to crack into this first episode. Obviously, this one We've got a bit to talk about from the opening couple of matches of this Women's World Cup. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be loose. It's going to be exciting. But before we get into all of that, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri, Gadigal and Yagura people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today, you have me, Marissa Laudanik, Sam Lewis, Angela christian Wilk. I know how to say your name. Angela Christian Wilkes, and joining us via voice memo later in this podcast, Anna Harrington as well. So let's begin, friends. Let's talk about the goddamn World Cup that's finally started. It's finally here. We need to talk tillies. Australia, 1-0 over the Republic of Ireland, 75,000 people at Stadium Australia. We need to start with a vibe check. How are we feeling physically? emotionally, spiritually, mentally, how are we feeling after watching our team play a game at our Home World Cup?
1: So I think it's important to start this conversation by talking about how I was feeling before the game. Coming into the game, the whole day I was on cloud nine. I was like, the Matildas have had the most amazing lead into this game. The vibes are really great in camp. The vibes around Sydney are really great. Finally, it feels like a World Cup is happening here. Got to the stadium early for a a Matildas alumni event. There were hundreds of former players who were gathered in the same room all together, some for the first time, having not seen each other for 30 years. And, like, more and more people, thousands and thousands of people pouring out of the train station, getting really into all the activities. Like, the vibes were just amazing. And then, and then walking to the media box, checking my phone, seeing the lineup and being like, what has happened? And all of the vibes, all of the color, all of the joy, just like draining out of my body and seeping into the ground. And I ran to the media box to try and find someone to talk to from Football Australia, who happened to be friend of the pod, Anne O'Dong. And I didn't even have time to drop my stuff. I just like stomped up to her and just said, what happened? <laughs> so Sam Kerr's absence from this game, the late withdrawal due to the calf injury, it just like just seemed to sap so much energy from the occasion and and from the the entire stadium. Like even when she sort of walked out and she was beamed up onto the big screen, there, there wasn't you know it was kind of like oh like there she is oh my god it's it was just this sort of hushed like. Resigni- resignation that she she wasn't going to be participating in this one moment that had she had been the poster child for. She had been built up over the last weeks and months and fucking even years, you know, to, to be the person for this moment, this opening game against the Republic of Ireland and she wasn't going to be there. It was just... So bizarre, and I explained this to a couple of different people. I'm pretty sure I went through the seven stages of grieving in the space of like 20 minutes when I found out that she was uh, she not only injured for this game, but also potentially for the next game against Nigeria. Um, it's it's huge, and and I I'm, I'm still kind of like processing it. I think like in hindsight, thinking back to the press conference that we all sat in with Tony Gustafson and Sam Kerr the day before the game. And they were all just like chatting away, like nothing's wrong, everything's fine, nothing to see here, just like everything was normal. And I'm looking back at that and I was like, did we just get gaslit? Like what has just happened here? It was, it was really like bizarre to think back across the, the last 48 hours and everything that's happened. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm curious to really to, to get the vibes from Angela's perspective, because Angela, you were sort of in and around the fans a lot more than I was. And then I had sort of had head buried in work, but what was the feeling for you, particularly post and uh, pre and post Sam Kerr withdrawal news?
2: I'm going to be real Sam. By the time I found out, I was not that sober, not sober at all. <laughs> I'm going to be real. So I think that was helpful, you know, because in the lead up, like kind of across my day, uh I got to Sydney on Wednesday evening and um yesterday I was just like what am I going to do all day uh I found stuff to do it was all good but I think the anxiety building up it built up as I as we arrived at home bush and we kind of got set up so the beers took the edge off that was important because I don't think I would have done well with this news otherwise um but I also I don't I mean we got the job done You know what I mean? And I think that's kind of like we've come into this tournament knowing that there is depth in in this squad and they can do a job. And a lot of people will be quick to point out that, you know, maybe it wasn't the flashiest game of football the Matildas have ever played. Uh, And a penalty goal isn't as rewarding as, you know, a sexy goal from open play like what we saw in France. But it's tournament football. I And I do... Completely like what you're saying, Sam, about Kerr not being able to fully participate as she would have wanted to and would have been expecting to in this absolutely huge moment is it's devastating. And I can't imagine how that would have felt for her. But I think also she's still, regardless of whether she's on the bench with an injury or she's out on the field, she's a huge, huge part of this team. And I think it's a credit to the whole squad really for being able to just still go out there without their, you know, usual captain. or well, yeah, their, their captain and and get it done. And so, I don't know. I think my stress will be how it pans out over the next week or so, but I completely understand the decision to not tell people before they needed to, because I think that's just like a welfare thing, right? That's just making sure that the, the inevitable tizzy that the media and the fans will get themselves into doesn't affect the players before the tournament because it absolutely would if people had known. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, I Fingers and toes crossed that because I still think that Sam Kirk can come back. Well, I'm not a medical professional. I think that's abundantly clear, but I I there's still the possibility for her to come back and have a huge impact for the Tillies, And I think something like this would just make her more determined to like, uh, like if she can get on the the park, like have that impact. So yeah, I don't don't know, but too long. Didn't read. I'm glad I had some babies in me when I found out, Uh, but I did capture a very funny photo of, um, friend of the pod, Dave, when he found it. And I think his reaction really summarised what a lot of people felt. I think it's best described as gobsmacked. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's me. And I'd just like to know also I'm filming on location at the Misses, the Rectangular Stadium. God, she's gorgeous. Golden hour. I've also got 7% battery. I'm also feeling physically horrific on like three hours of sleep 6 a.m flight but this is tournament football like I've got a job to do as well we ride you know we push on we we continue to drink the espresso martinis that need to be drunk um you know what I mean um I'm also very sorry if my phone dies in the middle of this but
0: like I said it's it's tournament football. It's World Cup, baby. This is this is what you people wanted, so this is what you're getting. There might be a voice note from Angela later on as well, like just recapping everything that was not able to be said when her phone died. But um, yeah, to just add to the collections of stories about how we found out about Sam Kerr, I had just filmed a piece to camera for ESPN, capturing the vibes, and to say that they were euphoric would not be overselling it. It was joy. And then Friend of the Pod and I, Laurie, were walking halfway around the stadium to get to the media entrance. And he's like, why is my phone blowing up? And it was because the news had dropped. So we then had to redo the piece to camera, because obviously I can't be looking happy after learning that news. And instead I delivered the eulogy that was Sam Kerr will not be playing the next two games of the world cup and the worst thing for me was as I am recording this piece to camera I can see people walking past me doing a double take to look back at me when I've said that sentence because I was the one that was telling them the bad news and I was like this is awful thanks I hate it um so yeah, obviously Harrow will have takes about Sam Kerr and her injury, so I look forward to listening to those later. We don't know what she's going to say. We're all going to learn together uh when this podcast is actually released. But let's talk about the game itself. Let's talk about Mary Fowler basically being the only change to the starting lineup from that game against France. How did we feel about the lineup? How do we feel we played? How do we feel the Tillies actually handled the occasion of home soil, 75,000, a very, very resolute defence in Ireland. How do we think they handled the actual occasion here?
1: Yeah, not just a resolute defence in Ireland, but a, like a really rough Ireland as well. Katie McCabe committed murder at least three times on that field and it's a kind of, it's shocking to me that the first person to receive a yellow card was actually Denise O'Sullivan just for a little trip on Cairo Cooney Cross. I was like, what is that? Um, look, it, it, the, we sort of expected that kind of game from the Republic of Ireland. I think they really relished the fact that they were coming in as the underdog, that they were coming in as the ones who could spoil the Matildas grand party. And they they all very nearly did. You know, there were a couple of chances that they had going forward where had it not been for like a last ditch tackle from Katrina Gorey or a particular glancing header from a Claire Hunt, they they potentially could have got a, a goal or two. Um, they did the Matildas did look nervous I think even though they'd been talking about blocking out the noise and managing the expectations and and um, trying to just play their game their way it's it's I mean they're human it's impossible not to get overwhelmed by a moment like that you know and and the players in the mix zone afterwards talked about how emotional they were getting during the anthems and looking up into that crowd and seeing all those people and hearing them roaring every time they went forward like that's got to do something to you as a human being, you know. So, yeah, I think I think it was a it was a nervy game. There were some moments which were a little bit yikes, and Steph Catley admitted as much afterwards as well. I think one of the biggest issues, which was um, which was highlighted, was it really was the absence of Sam Kerr. It was not just the fact that she creates a focal point in the attack for this team, but also because she has this kind of gravity to her, which means that other players become more dangerous by virtue of her being around. Um, like Caitlin Ford, I think is a really good example. She very rarely touched the ball in the first half. She was sort of swapping in and out with Mary Fowler as the nine, um, but she was just smothered every single time that, that she was able to get on the ball. And you can imagine, you know, the the alternative reality where Sam Kerr is the one being smothered and Caitlin Ford is roaming free and able to take shots a little bit more effectively from outside the box. So yeah, I think it was it was it was really difficult, and you could see that Gustafsson and the players were trying to figure out how to how to break down this really um, this really united Irish defense. You saw that the top, like the front four, constantly interchanging with one another. Courtney Vine was at centre forward for a bit. Hayley Rasser was at centre forward for a bit, constantly switching in and out and taking turns and just trying to confuse them. Um, but the Irish were they, they were solid. They were really stoic. They, they were really physical. They did everything that I think that was expected that they would do from the Matildas' perspective. Um, so thank God for Steph Catley. Thank God for uh, the, the beautiful left boot. Thank God that she'd been practicing penalties over the last couple of weeks in camp because that really was one of the only serious shots on goal that the Matildas had over the course of the whole game. Um, and that it came through a penalty, you know, whatever. I'm not complaining because a goal's a goal. Um, but I think this is definitely something that when we look forward to Nigeria and Canada um, who are going to be, I think, tougher prospects based on the game that we saw them play out today. Uh, we need to be able to find other ways of scoring goals other than hoping that someone gets tripped over in the box.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you were saying there, Sam, Reminds me a lot. So friend of the pod, Tom, he's a coach and he talks a lot about gravity. And yeah, that's probably the thing, you know, Samka has enormous gravitational pull and she's able to, like you say, like kind of draw other defenders out of the game because she is such a threat and that in itself creates opportunities and opens the game up a little bit. And yeah, um, I just, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be Island and find out, Oh my God, Kerr's not playing. Like, and again, if they had found that out sooner, when they hadn't yet put in their team list, what that would have looked like. Um, I did have other points, but I'm also down to two percent battery, so I'm a little, I'm a little bit worried. Um, did I have other? Oh, Maca, that's what I want to say before my phone dies. Maca, friend of the pod, Eden. She messaged me, and she, we've we've kind of talked back and forth over the years about Mackenzie Arnold you know, and her kind of ebbs and flows. But I think just incredible to see her between the posts and to be able to perform in a game like that because two years ago, I just don't think that it would have been the same result. I think there would have been a goal leaked at least in that kind of performance. But for her to be able to do that yesterday, again, in – huge huge circumstances enormous pressure 75,000 people there I think just like full credit there um double thumbs up love that um yeah and just it's incredible to see how far she's progressed and I'm now down to one percent so I'm gonna love you and leave you and
3: it's maybe send your voice in the
2: Please do. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to get home, but um, you know what? It's the magic of the cup. We'll fi- I'll figure it out. I know that's the wrong cup to use that phrase for, but, um, yeah, I'll this figure it out, and I'm sorry.
0: Angela at major tournaments. This just is just how you roll. Terrible. And I
2: before anyone messages me, I do have a power bank, okay?
0: <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Go, I'm cutting you off. Bye. Please get home safe. Um (laughs) Sam, (laughs) let's continue. I think (laughs) talking about Macca is actually a really good place to talk about the I think if I'm not mistaken, five World Cup debutants we had. So Macca, Claire Hunt, Kara Kuni Cross, Courtney Vine. Mary Fowler. Mary Fowler.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Amazing, yeah. And isn't that just, it's it's just such a another illustration of the work that Gustafsson has done over the last couple of years. And I, mm-hmm. I actually think back to the France send-off game and I'm like, thank God that game happened because mm-hmm. that, particularly that last half hour when Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford came off the field, that was the opportunity for those younger players, for those World Cup debutants, to actually figure out some of the problems that they ended up facing together on the field against Ireland. And mm-hmm. they managed to figure it out both times so that's yeah I like I look back at that game and I'm like like that's that's exactly the reason why you have them that's exactly the reason why you have those dress rehearsal friendlies in order to practice these scenarios and that's exactly what Tony Gustafson said after the game when he was asked you know about the Sam Kerr situation about whether he had prepared for the worst case scenario and he was like look as a coach you have to practice every single thing you need to be able to answer every question and even if that means the absolute worst situation imaginable which mm. in this case actually happened they were able to solve the problem because they had practiced it and that's such a testament to his planning and to the I think the the, to the togetherness of the group as well mm. um, that they don't internally they don't feel like they are dependent on Sam Kerr. they know that they're able to get the job done uh, themselves when she's off the field and they've shown us now time and time again that they're capable of doing that and I did want to echo Angela's praise of Mackenzie Arnold particularly in those last 10 minutes because Mm. that was so tense and I was so nervous I could barely type I was just watching these constant balls in from the Irish players again and again and again and Arnold was just so commanding in the air a couple like a couple big punches there was a fingertip sort of pushed to the side there was a grab there was just like all the stuff that. The old Mackenzie Arnold, I don't think, would have been confident enough to do. But she was able to do all of it over the course of that 15-minute spell, where Claire Polkinghorne had to come on to shore up the defence. And it was just, a, it was a sort of cling to the life raft type of end to the game. Uh, and Arnold's confidence, I think, really, um, it really uh, emanated across the rest of the team in that in that time. I think if we'd had a less confident goalkeeper who was a little bit more prone to some fumbles, that would have, would have potentially been one, one, or even worse than that, you know? So yeah, I think overall um, I, I don't want to get too nitpicky about it, I suppose, because mm-hmm. a win's a win. You know, this is tournament football and there's a lot of intangible stuff. Like you can control, like it's cliche, right? You can control the controllables, but when you're actually out there in the moment and you're there with literally the entire women's footballing world watching you in front of 75,000 people after so long, to prepare after building up to this for such a long time and finally you're here, it's, it's not really surprising to me that they performed the way that they did. But now that they've done it, now that they can take the deep breath, they've got the first game t- t- tucked away under their belts. they've got the three points, now they can actually move into the Nigeria game with a bit of a clear head. Mm-hmm. And now that they've also had a little bit more time to process the absence of Sam Kerr, hopefully we're actually going to be able to see something a little bit more choreographed, a little bit more decisive when it comes to how we solve the problem of her absence.
0: Yeah, I think the mental aspect is actually really important and Tony made mention of it a couple of times in his press conference about how it is tournament football. So no one cares how you got the 1-0 win. You got the 1-0 win. You've got three points, you've got a clean sheet and you've got a goal goal for you in that column. So like WWW is what I'm hearing. Um But Tony also said that he really thought the team as a whole for a lot of them, they would be able to kind of mentally check the box of we got through the opening game. We got through the one that was going to have a record crowd. We were going to have the one where everyone was like, <gasps> you need to win the opening game. So I think he's looking at it as we've passed a hurdle that needed to be overcome and now we're just playing football again in a weird kind of way, which is, it's a dumb way to phrase it, but it is what is going on. So I am going to be really interested to see how the whole team sort of work through this next week because there is so much time between the first game and the second game and whether they kind of rebuild all the nerves or if it has kind of, placated their anxieties like no no we've done it now and even just the sense that you know we're back down to a crowd of 50,000 done that piece of cake we've done 75 like that's 25,000 less quick maths um you know what I mean so I'm really interested to see if that mental aspect becomes I suppose as big a thing as we think it might be um regarding this next game and stuff do you foresee I mean, God willing, there's no forced changes, but do you foresee any changes heading into this
1: Nigeria game lineup wise? Mm, Good question. I suppose it depends on how the players are going to pull up Mm. after this Ireland game, because there were some that got absolutely smashed. Hayley Rasso. Oh my God. How is she still alive? I don't know. Um, So depending on, yeah, I guess the the fitness question is going to be um, how, how he decides what to do, but based on his past comments where he's referenced multiple times the fact that statistically the teams that go furthest in tournaments are the teams that don't change their starting 11. Uh, like you look at the Lionesses of the Euros, for example, same starting 11 across the entire tournament, and they were just lucky that they didn't have any injuries to, to impact that. I think that's the approach that he's going to try and go for. If these players that we saw against Ireland are, the, are fit and they're healthy and they're ready to go and they're feeling okay, I think he will probably go with the same eleven, um, and also because we saw we saw the impact that the the substitutes had as well. We saw what Van Egmond did when she came on in the second half. We saw some of those really beautiful passes, one touch volley passes, just like breaking through two lines of of players. It was so good, um, and yeah, so you know you can you can see you can see the game management. As it's happening, you can see what he's trying to do. You can see the way that they approach these things. I think Nigeria, they pose a very different kind of challenge though. Um, I, I think that their, their defence is, it's sort of, um, it's on, on par, I suppose, with Ireland, but not in a, uh, not in the same physical sense necessarily. I think uh, Nigeria are much more lethal in terms of actually using their defenders To get up the field, Um, Katie McCabe aside, I don't think Ireland really did that. They were happy to kind of sit back and not really do very much else. Um, And also going forward, they pose a much, much harder challenge than what the Republic of Ireland do, where pretty much their only threat came through Katie McCabe going for a run every now and then. So because of that, um, yeah, I think think Australia's defenders are going to have a little bit more on their plate. Um, I'll be curious to see how Alana Kennedy is pulled up after playing the full game and whether Claire Polkinghorn maybe comes in to start the first hour. And then Kennedy sort of comes in as the, as the shoring up, uh, third central defender. Thought Claire Hunt was once again, outstanding as well. We need to just constantly, I know chef's kiss. Like every time she plays, I'm just like, where have you come from? Like
0: <laughs> game just, seven. just,
1: Game seven. Yeah. You like of her it looks, international it like career. Game yeah. She's crazy. Um <clears throat> yeah so I'm I'm I don't know this I guess the answer that's that's my educated guess is that he'll try and stick to the same starting 11 as what we saw um with the with the inclusion or exclusion of players based on injury
0: I don't disagree with you and I do think as well like I agree with your point about Nigeria I feel like this game as a whole is going to be a lot more transitional so it's going to mm. be a bit high risk high reward in the sense that we might be able to exploit space out the back and actually utilise our strengths, use the quick speed, use the quick movement, which is something we didn't really see a lot in the first half and only kind of saw it as the second half war on against um, Ireland. But But similarly,
1: yeah, Nigeria will do the same. That's exactly the issue. That's the thing. So,
0: like, for neutrals, this could be really fun. Like, and I hope they enjoy it. I will not be enjoying it. I will be suffering. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, there's, I think it's going to be a lot more open. I think there's going to be a lot more space for both teams to exploit. So I think it's also going to be a really good test of um, have our... I need to stop talking In now, have the Matildas attack-wise kind of uh, shaken off any sort of nerves and rust and just gone back into we move quick, we move fast, we move decisively and more often than not we score goals. And it's also going to be a really interesting test of just how far this defence has come because we know that the defence is probably the thing that has changed the most over the course of Tony's tenure with the Matildas Um, and we know that they do defend better. They like they concede chances, but they do as a whole defend better. So, does that apply to transition chances as well? We're about to find out. Um, do you have any final thoughts about this Tilly's game before we move on to the other game of day one of the World Cup, which was New Zealand one, Norway nil.
1: What? No God. way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Genuinely, though, go you good things, the football ferns, in front of a record crowd of 42,000 people, the most unlikely result, and I mean that so respectfully, but, like, if you were tipping New Zealand, you were either a a nuffy or just, like, really loyal to the ferns because I think everyone assumed not only were Norway going to kind of just romp this group but make very light work of the ferns so like yep. we obviously know a fair few kiwis and how much it's meant to them so how have you seen that and how have you mu- how much have you actually enjoyed like the reaction because that's been my favorite part seeing how much joy this has brought to kiwi football fans and kiwi football as a whole
1: yeah, 100%. And given their really awful lead-in to this game with the shooting in Auckland, um, to to pull out this kind of performance in front of that crowd under the, in those kind of circumstances against an opponent that has the reputation of a Norway with the players like a Caroline Graham Hansen and Ada Hegerberg who won the Ballon d'Or, uh, a, a Guru Wrighton who plays for Chelsea, like these amazing players, for New Zealand to stick together and to and to fight their way through this and to come out the other side with a win is extraordinary. I'm so thrilled for them. It, this has been such a – I feel like, uh, like a moment like this has been such a long time coming for the Ferns when it comes to World Cups. Like it's not just their first World Cup goal, it's their first World Cup win and potentially now that you look at the further permutations in the group if they beat the philippines they could finish in the top 2 and actually qualify for the round of 16 for the first time wouldn't that be extraordinary considering they're co-hosting this tournament and they've sort of been no offense to any new zealand listeners but kind of letting down the letting down the gang a little bit when it comes to ticket sales and hype so for the fans to basically just like throw the tournament on their own shoulders and be like, you know what, let's go. Let's go this way and and get the whole country behind them from the very beginning is incredible. And what I really loved actually was when we were at the pub outside of Stadium Australia, we were all watching the game on a live screen and there were Australian fans everywhere. And when New Zealand scored, everyone lost their minds because it just – it feels like they're us. It feels like they're part of us, you know, and they're, they're our sisters across the ditch. So, yeah, it was, it was amazing. And I think it also – i mean like while new zealand were new zealand and they were able to to fight through and get a result the fact that norway lost this game is extraordinary to me it's it's i think it you would have assumed that they would have found a way to fix the problems that the euros exposed but a new head coach just seems to have just been a Band-Aid solution. They just seem like a broken team despite all of the extraordinary players that they've got on their roster. It's, I just don't understand how they can't just fight. Just I don't know. I feel like I could coach them better. Just put them in a 4-4-3, four, four, like 4-3-3 three, three, and just let them run around and, and do their thing. Like, don't overcoach them. These players know what they're doing. You know what I mean? So, yeah, the fact that they they lost their opening game to New Zealand and and did it in such a way as well is like, I think a lot of people have quietly said behind the scenes that Norway are frauds, but I think this game absolutely has proved that.
0: I did not say it quietly. I said it on this here podcast. If you want to go listen back (laughs) to our Group A preview, I literally said, I understand why people rate them because you look at that team list and it's like, yeah, I'm – you know, crapping my dacks looking at the likes of a Guru Wright and of a Caroline Graham Hansen and Utter Hegerberg running towards me, I would just roll like roll down on the floor and shake in my boots. Um yes, but they've just they've they've haven't done anything with what should be a good team. So I'm gonna say it again. They're frauds. They could still realistically get out of the group. Like it is still only game one of the group stage. But I just, I don't trust them. Um, As for New Zealand, as you said, we were we were both at the pub. If you would like to see vision of that, I happen to be recording a pieced camera <laughs> again um, exactly at that moment. So you can see the reaction of the pub behind me. I start yelling into the microphone, the football fans have scored. So uh, go to ESPN.com.au if you want to check out the uh, the literal moment, the locker room outside Homebush uh, found out that, New Zealand had scored and watched Hannah Wilkinson score that goal. My favourite, I had many favourite things obviously with this New Zealand thing, but I think the piece of history that we need to keep reminding people of is that New Zealand have played 15 World Cup matches before yesterday and had never won a single World Cup game. Not once. Three draws, 12 losses. This was their first ever World Cup win in 15 matches like that's insane that is a genuinely ridiculous stat a ridiculous streak it would be so disheartening going into yet another world cup being like we've never won a game here and so for them to do it in that way in their own backyard in front of that many people it's just so heartwarming and my personal favorite reaction was Ally Riley she was joy personified? Yeah. Her face in the um anthems, the photo of her just eyes closed, looking up, soaking it all in—you felt it. And then her post game, she had the painted nails. We also stand uh, trans flag on one hand, rainbow flag on the other. Hell yes, we see you, we love you, Ali Riley. um Also, I just love that that photo also has. So she has, and forgive my pronunciation here, altero tattooed on her arm as well. So I just loved that entire image spoke volumes. So I was stoked for her. Every time I saw a photo of her crying, she was crying with Jacinda Ardern. Like there was, there was so many um, tears of joy. I absolutely loved every single part of it. And I just am so happy for everyone across the ditch that got to experience that because World Cup wins are simply unlike anything else. They're so good. Um, Shall we quickly have a little chat about one of the other games that has occurred today? So we're currently recording. It is 4.52pm on the 21st of July. So we've had one of day two's matches completed and it was the other teams in the Matildas group. It was Nigeria and Canada playing out a scoreless draw. Harrow tweeted this. She was like, this is a huge result for the Matildas. How are you feeling about that draw?
1: Yeah, look, it was an, it was a really interesting game. Um, mm-hmm. Both sides had a chance to win it. Christine Sinclair had a penalty that was poorly taken and well saved. Uh, and Nigeria had two very good shots uh, that Kaylin Sheridan were, was able to, to parry away as well, which is, you know, considering the, um, the reputation of Canada as a very defensive team, that makes me a little bit nervous, um, as we were saying before. Like Nigeria has a very good attack when they click. And if they're able to slice through a, a defence as well-oiled as Canada's, then you know, watch out, Tony. Um, yes, it is. It is a very good result for the Matildas. Um, it means that the the pressure is off somewhat um, for them to be able to finish in the top two. But I don't think they're going to care about that. I don't think they're going to bother about counting numbers or, or or even, I mean, they'll watch the game for research purposes, for preparation purposes, but I I don't think they are going to read into it as much as what everyone else on the outside will. I think they'll still have their own plans and their own um, tactics and their own style that they want to stick to. Um, but it was a really interesting insight into both sides and where they've come from and and how they have um, emerged from the their respective moments of chaos, I suppose, over the last couple of weeks slash months. Uh, Nigeria, of course, having all of those issues off the field in terms of their federation, paid disputes, and same as Canada. Um, so the fact that they sort of got here at all, maybe this was a game of rustiness. Maybe this was a game of, oh, yeah, we haven't actually played very many friendlies in the lead up to this. This is, this is kind of the, the opportunity to shake off some of that stuff. Um, but, you know, Canada, I think I was talking to a friend of the pod, Amy, who writes for Goal.com, uh, and she said that she doesn't really understand Canada. Uh, which like could be as a country, as a concept, uh, but also as a national team. And I kind of agree, you know, you kind of, you understand Canada's back four, but you don't really understand anything further up the field than that. Um, It was, it was a really odd uh, game to watch from that perspective, just constantly watching Canada, trying to find routes to goal without really having a striker, without really having anyone to sort of aim for and do the, the thing. Uh, it was yeah, it was very strange. Whereas Nigeria, I think, were much clearer in who they were and what their game plan was, and they executed that pretty well. Um, so yeah, so I think for for both of these sides, the next week is going to be really important because they need to um, they need to recover from this game. They need to travel. Uh, they need to try and hash out um, what their next steps are going to be because now. The pressure really is on both of them to get wins in their next two games in order to go through to the qualifying stages. So, yeah, Um, which just means that the Matildas need to be on their guard because both of these teams are going to be coming at them. So good luck, gals.
0: The Caelan Sheridan saves with defeats. Impeccable. Yes. Yep. Stunning. Literally, stars. actually, for anyone
1: anyone listening who hasn't read it already, I actually profiled Kaylin Sheridan for my big um Dart Odyssey on ABC Sports. So go over there; it's called Game Changers. And across all of the data that we scraped across multiple different uh, football websites, Kaylin Sheridan was actually the goalkeeper who emerged as one of the ones to watch in the tournament. And that game mm-hmm. showed exactly why. So go and check it out because it's it's pretty sick.
0: It is. We have retweeted that. So if you scroll through the Far Post's social media accounts, you will find it there. Um, yeah, I think the travel aspect is about to become real pertinent for some teams. So, like, obviously the Tillies are back in Brisbane. They will play in Brisbane. Nigeria just have to fly from Melbourne to Brisbane. So it's a two-hour flight. It's pretty cruisy. You're doing all right. Both Ireland and Canada need to fly to Perth. Yes, there's a fair few yep. days between this first game and second game, but it's still a pretty large journey. So that's going to be something that we see more and more of as the group stage kind of progresses, how these teams handle the travel, because it's not... it. Well, if we just compare it to the last World Cup at a minimum, you know, it's we're dealing with chalk and cheese in terms of travel and how that's actually going to affect players and their bodies. So... That is going to be one to keep an eye on. I reckon we should probably wrap this up. I will include voice memos from one Anna Harrington and one Angela Christian Wilkes as soon as I get them. But any final takes for Express Post 1?
1: Um, I think my only sort of big takeaway is, is just the, the crowd at Stadium mm. Australia. That it was genuinely a record-breaking crowd and being in there Walking around the perimeter of the stadium before the game, seeing all of these people who had turned out for the Matildas, like for this team that we have followed on this incredible roller coaster journey for a decade plus, to now see seventy five thousand people paying money to come and sit and watch them and cheer them on, and and to to feel like you're you're finally on the cusp of, of a new thing. That's what was so overwhelming for me, I think. Like I, I I got very, very teary when I was listening to the national anthem as well, as well as the players. Like I looking around that stadium, seeing the First Nations flags, seeing all the folks out there who were holding banners that they'd made at home for the players, seeing all of those jerseys that were made just for the Matildas. Like it's I when I early in the day I mentioned that I Went and sat um and met a whole bunch of Matilda's alumni from the earliest teams in the 1970s all the way to to the most recent ones in the to the 2010s, 2020s, and feeling the gratefulness of all of them and mm-hmm. feeling that you know they they were all finally in a space and in a moment where They can see the ramifications of their work. They can see what all of their effort, all of their sacrifices, all of their passion for this game, all of the work that they did in the shadows has finally come to something, has built this thing that they were about to go and watch. Um, Yeah, that was incredibly special. So I'm I'm really glad that I sort of took a moment to really look up and to just like be in the moment and appreciate how far the game has come because, you know, this this tournament's going to fly and uh, we need to, to take those moments when they come.
0: I couldn't agree more. I was having really weird flashbacks to the first game in France and I remember all of us kind of sitting there and you're looking around the stadium. And I think I said it to you during the familiarisation session, I'm like, this is not the stadium in Valenciennes, my dude. Like this is we're a long way from our first World Cup game that we got to watch together. Um And yeah, it was just so weird. I think it was once I had sat down and actually looked at the stadium completely full compared to the way that we had seen it completely yeah. empty the day before. I was just like, oh damn, we're doing this. We're here and we're doing this. The the best part was for me anyway, much like what happened in France, you get about 10 minutes in and then you're just like, oh, we're watching a game of football. I know what to do here. And there's a a sense of relief, um, which is really palpable and really silly. I remember feeling it in France and I remember feeling it um, last night. But, yeah, I definitely cried. Um, My colleagues at ESPN probably thought she's blowing her nose a lot. It's like, yeah, because I was crying Um, (laughs) because I felt a lot um Mm -hmm. the other couple of quick things I wanted to mention the stat that was going around yesterday that the Matildas have sold more jerseys this has been confirmed by Nike than the Socceroos did what was it before during
1: and after the Qatar World Cup the Men's World
0: Cup insanity
1: like if we told you so (sighs)
0: we
1: told her this is it
0: the photo you took of the I told you so banner in the stadium as well yeah, I was just yeah. my brain anytime I see that I like go for Craig Foster I'm just like Johnny Warren <laughs> it just it I loved it so much um so loved reading that and then the final thing while we were at the pub Um, you found a friend along the way. So do you want to tell us about the
1: friend you found along the way? I did find a friend. So shout out to friend of the pod, Evie, who is a long-time listener. Apparently she has binged every single episode that we've done, which is kind of extraordinary. I'm pretty sure she knows more about us than we do. Uh, She spotted me as I was looking around dumbly trying to find the gals to to have a pregame beer. And she came over to me and said, are you Sam Lewis? And I was like, yes, I am. And so we had a really great chat um, Met her dad, Matt, as well. Shout out to him. And we were able to to all get a photo together. And Evie, uh, she writes for The Inner Sanctum. She's a football writer. Uh, and a huge Matildas fan. So, yeah, it was really great to meet you, Evie. We're really stoked that we've been able to be part of your journey in some way, that we've been able to inspire you. Keep it up. We can't wait to read more of your work. Just continue to to put all the passion that you showed us into your writing, and within no time you will be sitting alongside us in these media boxes writing about the Matildas for a big publication, I guarantee it.
0: It was genuinely a how good to meet you, Evie. So, Love your work. We hope to see more of it. But I think it is time to grab a voice note from Harrow. Unfortunately, she sent me many. I could only include one. So I hope to figure that out uh, later. But here is
3: Harrow's take on the vibes. The vibe is pretty good, I reckon. You look at and on the face of things, and obviously um, pretty scrappy, hard-fought 1-0, really hard to break down Ireland, who, were, you know, they clearly parked the bus, had that back five. It looked, must look like a green wall for the Australian attackers going forward. But, I mean, especially when you look in the context of the Canada-Nigeria draw, sometimes you just need to get a win, and I think that's exactly how they'll look at that. They found a way through. They broke them down, unlike that South Korea match at the Asian Cup, which, geez, it looked like heading that way for a while. Um I was a bit nervy at the end, I felt like the back five maybe almost was an over-adjustment and it really invited pressure. And full credit to how Australia stood tall, the defence and Mackenzie Arnold. But yeah, I, I'm feeling pretty good. That that penalty, penalty from Steph Catley was just so, 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 so good. She's so cool, calm and collected. She scored in that shootout against Norway in 2019. I know we don't like to talk about it, but she just makes it look easy. Never looked like missing, in my opinion.
0: And that's us done for today. This was the express post. It wasn't very express though.
1: No, it's... 45 minutes. <laughs> Not quite express. <laughs> express with some some rain delays, maybe. Yeah,
0: look, we're doing our best. There's like so many more of these to come. So, like we said, we will be aiming to get a daily pod out to you every single day. Recapping as many of the matches as we can, bringing along as many friends as we can who have been across the stadiums in Australia and New Zealand. So we can't wait to keep bringing you all of these podcasts, all of the written stuff. Obviously, I'll be on espn.com.au, Sam will be on the ABC, and Harrow will be literally everywhere with AAP. So make sure you keep your eyes peeled. But as always, We're over on aspn.com.au and the ESPN app. You can follow us on Spotify, Apple, Google, all of the usual pod spots. Make sure you subscribe so you get the daily pod right in your phone when it drops. If you want to have a chat to us, we're at the Far Post pod on all social media. But until next time, go Tillies and see you.